Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This podcast explores themes of murder and rape. Listener discretion is advised. The words of Eileen Warnos are voiced by an actor. She killed seven men in cold blood. She did not kill in self-defense, but instead was motivated by hatred of men. There's no chance of stairs in keeping me alive. Are you thinking I'd kill again? I have hate crawling through my system. Seven men murdered. Only six bodies found. From 1989 to 1990, these men fell victim to sex worker Eileen Warnos as she hitchhiked along Florida's highways. Some were just giving a woman in need a ride. Others parted money for sex. But they all paid the price, as picking her up cost them their lives. Over the course of six episodes, we've spoken to detectives, witnesses, and experts to delve into the case of Eileen Warnos, tracking her notoriety as America's first female serial killer, and question if she, too, was a victim. Deep diving inside the mind of a monster, we've heard Eileen's innermost thoughts and feelings from letters she sent her best friend Dawn from death row. I'm criminal psychologist Dr. Michelle Ward, and this is season five of Mind of a Monster, Eileen Warnos. Episode six, I'll be back, I'll be back. Dear Dawn, I'll face the music of whatever further evil they wish to do, as in executing. Go for it. I may have killed seven, but what I've witnessed in all this is that their sins are even greater than the seven murders. It's January 27th, 1992, and for the past two weeks, Eileen Warnos has been on trial for the murder of Richard Mallory. She maintains she had no intention of killing him. The jury delivers its verdict after just two hours of deliberation. Count one, 
First-degree premeditated murder? Guilty. Count two. Armed robbery. Guilty. As the jury files out of the courtroom, Eileen can't contain her anger. I spoke to prosecutor David Demore, who watched it happen. Eileen screamed at the jury as she was being led out of the courtroom after the jury had just come back and found her guilty of, of the charges. And as she was being led out of the courtroom door in front of the jurors, between two bailiffs, she screamed out. I was raped. I hope you get raped. Oh my, how did everyone react to that? There was total silence in the courtroom. You have 12 jurors looking at her, a judge sitting on the bench and us, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not the brightest move you can make, Eileen, because these are the same people who are going to decide whether you live or die. Eileen believes the jury has been swayed by the media. In a letter to her best friend, she makes her feelings about the jurors very clear. Dear Dawn, it's basically men or women who are pissed off because a woman was screwing around with a married man, possibly theirs, or they've never been raped. Just fortunate cookies who've never been pushed or gotten a little dirty in life. A chance of luck of being raised in a wealthy home or a middle-class one. But put them all in my shoes, then they'd understand everything. It's Florida, so Eileen's keenly aware that the death penalty is on the table. Before sentencing, the jury is given reasons why she may deserve a lesser sentence of life in prison. These are known as mitigating factors. One of the psychologists called to court, Dr. Elizabeth McMahon, said of Eileen, she is, quote, probably one of the most primitive people I have ever seen outside of an institution. Dr. Toomer, you evaluated Eileen also. Do you agree with Dr. McMahon's statement? I agree wholeheartedly with that, that particular observation and that clinical interpretation of her behavior. Because the notion of primitive speaks to the fact that we have an individual who never had any of the supportive measures or protective measures that are so necessary in order for an individual to get an adequate start in life. So in essence, her behavior was very primitive. Her coping mechanisms were very primitive because she had no role models. She had no supportive environment and she did not trust. And in later psychological reports, you and other psychologists deemed her mentally incompetent to proceed, but the trial was never paused or stopped. Do you think her mental health was ever truly considered? I don't believe that her mental health was considered fairly. Her delusions and other aspects of her psychological impairment tended to blend with reality. But she was incapable of basically processing information in an appropriate way because her cognitive behavior, her emotional behavior, and uh, her overall actions were, in essence, fueled by her underlying impairment. She was motivated by her deficiencies, and those deficiencies left her unable to function appropriately. 
what we had with Eileen Warnos was someone who was of a certain chronological age, but in essence behaving as if they were 10 or 15 years younger. What we've learned through this series is how Eileen didn't kill for pleasure. She never craved murder like some serial killers do. To some, she was just lost, mentally unwell, and struggling to get past a life of neglect and abuse. Being knocked down over and over again, maybe a life in prison would be her only source of stability and security. I want to know if childhood trauma expert Dr. Tasha Jackson believes Eileen could have ever been rehabilitated. You know, people have this ability to really change in the right environments, the right treatments, and I want to believe that. She shows signs that she wants connection. She shows signs of craving love. She shows a lot of places of hope. She's not socially withdrawing in some ways. I personally wouldn't want to give up with her. I would, you know, sit in her cell and try to work on it, try to get her a new environment. I don't know. You can have her hopes and then there's reality. On Thursday, January 30th, the jury returns to decide Eileen's fate, if she lives or dies. Despite hearing the mitigating factors, the impact that her traumatic childhood may have had on her ability to control her impulses, all 12 jurors unanimously agree. Eileen Warnos is sentenced to death. Visibly shocked, she is sitting, shaking. Eileen covers her mouth in disbelief and sobs. Her defense lawyer, Trisha, gives her a hug to try to comfort her. As the judge tells Eileen her fate, he says something unusual, shocking to many, at the end of his sentencing. You, Eileen Carol Warnus, be electrocuted until you are dead. And may God have mercy upon your corpse. May God have mercy on her corpse? Prosecutor David Damore. What was that about? We never brought that up afterwards because none of us knew whether it was intentional or it was a slip of the tongue. And I can tell you when it happened, we all looked at each other. Many were shocked to hear this. May God have mercy on your soul is the usual phrase. Eileen is handcuffed and taken to death row. Eileen is on death row, sitting alone in her cell. She's forced to come to the realization that her life will probably end here. Despite being accused of five other murders, Eileen decides to fire her current attorneys. Behind bars, Eileen is told by a friend about a defense lawyer who has offered to take on her case. His name? Steve Glazer, a.k.a. Dr. Legal, as he refers to himself in his TV commercials. He's a colorful character, but comes under fire in the press at times for how he handles the case. Steve hasn't spoken out much over the years. I want to know more about him and his involvement with Eileen. Hi, my name is Steve Glazer. I was Eileen Warnes' uh, defense attorney through uh, five of her murder cases. She had gotten my number from the public defenders that were defending Eileen Warnus, who I'm going to refer to as Lee 
because we all knew her as Lee at that time. So tell me a bit about your background. I hear you're quite the musician. I was at one time. I started playing when I was about 14 in New York City where I grew up and uh, ended up working as a opening act for rock and roll bands for a couple of years and um, put myself through college, put myself through law school, yada, yada, yada. So how does a rock and roll loving teenager end up becoming an attorney, a criminal defense attorney? Well, I grew up in the 60s and in 1968, when Bobby Kennedy was killed, I kind of looked towards my government a lot differently. And I became, what, for the lack of a better word, a yippie. And when I got to be about 16, I remember following Abby into the streets of New Haven protesting because Bobby Seale of the Black Panther Party was in jail across the street, you know. Anyway, a long night turned into a riot and it radicalized me, really. I saw the state, I saw the government come down on people and they have all the power. And I thought that um, I'd be able to help something. Help people like Eileen. How was meeting Eileen Warnos as her defense attorney for the first time? I was afraid. First of all, when those doors slam in prison, you know, you go through a lot of doorways, and this is an ancient old prison, and everything is real claustrophobic. So I was put in a very, very small room with a man killer, and uh, so I was, I was, I was getting ready for a body block if I had to. But uh, that my initial reaction was, uh, this is scary. But uh, we talked quite a bit, and I think when I left, it was a big smile and um, a handshake and a big smile. And we had an understanding of each other right away. And that's what shocked me, that this woman killed six individuals, yet I can be her friend. Eileen admits to killing another man, Peter Sims, but she won't face trial for this as his body hasn't been found. Speaking on the Mind of a Monster documentary in 2020, Peter's niece Kathy and nephew David talk about the anguish this caused. We have no idea, we have no closure because of it. And it's hard not having any closure, not being able to, to put flowers on his grave. We would obviously rather have a, a body where you could bury it and just have a place of, of a remembrance of them, you know. But we don't have that. But a lot of people don't have that, you know. Let's remind ourselves of her other five victims. David Spears, Charles Carscadden, Troy Barres, Charles Humphreys, and Walter Antonio. Eileen is due to face the courts over all these murders. But remember, she already has a death sentence. In an interview outside the courtroom, Steve tells reporters he believes Eileen should come clean and confess her sins to reach heaven. But 
He also insists she wants to die. After she'd lost the Richard Mallory case, she said, you can only kill me once, and that's why she called upon me. Yeah, she hoped to get to death row as soon as possible, get to heaven as soon as possible. I don't even believe in the death penalty, but it was her choice. So she just gave up there and then. Did you personally feel that she was competent to stand trial? Absolutely. I would not have stood next to her for a minute. If I thought she did not know what she was doing, if I thought that she was reluctant about doing it, I wouldn't have stood there. She ordered me to do something. Dear Dawn, I know you've been really interested if I'm still waving my trials away, so I'll tell you right here, yes. There's no point continuing to fight a corrupt system. I'll only lose. But not in the afterlife. They may be fooling the world, but they're not fooling God. Controversially, Steve advises Eileen to plead no contest or guilty in her subsequent cases, which are heard over the next 12 months. Legally, no contest is viewed as a guilty plea. It's an unexpected move, and as a result of this, she is handed five more death sentences. Her defense lawyer, Steve, insists he listen to her requests, which, actually, he's obligated to do. Take me back to the moment when you told the court that Eileen wanted to change her plea to no contest. There was a great gnashing of teeth amongst her public defenders. Uh, the audience did murmur back and forth, but it was quite shocking. Uh, and when she said it, the judge had to ask her several times, are you sure you know what you want to do? Lee had one thing on her mind. It was to get to the electric chair. I say that electric chair because that's what we had at the time. She didn't want to languish in one of those little five-by-eight cells uh, year after year after year after appeal after appeal. And so she said to me, Steve, I want you to get me there as soon as possible. Well, there are rules, and I had to learn how to satisfy the rules. Well, I come along with Lee, and she wants to die, but I have to put on evidence to get her life in prison because that's what the rule says. In the remaining court cases, Eileen deteriorates further, her emotional turmoil evident from repeated abusive outbursts. Your wife and kids are raped. I would ask that you point out the defendant's office. I knew I was raped. You weren't nothing but a bunch of stumps. It's interesting to me because I know that she had said she wanted to die, that she was done. But then when the judge hands down this death sentences, she's irate. She was a show-off. I mean, we were buddies. We, we got to be buddies. And she was a show-off, and this was her chance. Plus, you got to remember, she suffered from borderline personality disorder. So um, her intense anger is not something that would be odd. 
And uh, this was a last chance in that court setting to get on TV, you know, F you America, I hope you get it too. I read and I researched an article I found from Georgetown Law, and it was called Volunteering for Execution. And I learned a few things. I believe in her right to choose her own destiny. Around one in 10 people on death row volunteer for execution to avoid waiting years to die. So it's not unheard of for an inmate to want to speed up the process. But this is a huge leap from pleading not guilty in the Mallory trial. It's almost like she's truly and finally given up. I spoke with her best friend, Dawn, about how Eileen felt on death row. I'm going to tell she got a killer, is what she would say. So it's a waste of time. One's good enough. I'm going to be on death row till I die on death row. No more courts. I'm done with coming to courts. Which makes sense on her part when you look at it that way. What did you think about her defense attorney, Steve Glazer? He liked being the star. And I did tell him, after all the stuff come out in the papers, that as far as I'm concerned, he'd done the best he could do with the situation he was in. Christ sake, she killed seven men. I don't care if you're Einstein as an attorney. Nobody's going to get somebody killed that many men off of death row. And while on death row, did Eileen talk to you about how she felt about the guilty verdicts? The first few times I visited her, she would say, I can't believe they're doing this so, you know, to me. I'm a woman that was raped, and then she'd go on about some of the rapes and stuff like that. But I would go off to something else, like, come on, let's talk about other things you did in your life and you're going to do in your life. I didn't come here to sit and hear the stories on these guys. Write them down. Huh. You know, <laughs> which she did. In Florida, anyone sentenced to death is required to have an automatic direct appeal heard by the Supreme Court. This cannot be waived by the defendant, and legal representation must be provided. In 1994, Eileen has an appeal and has refused a hearing. The death sentences are not overturned. But Eileen argues her original trial counsel provided ineffective representation. With six death sentences hanging over her, Eileen has one final chance with her post-conviction hearings. A state-appointed defense team will argue for a new, full-blown hearing with witnesses and testimony. Joe Hobson was one of those lawyers. The, the funny thing about Eileen is we were the same age. We were born in 1956. And at the time I was going to boy-girl dances in 1970, when I turned 14 and was playing CYO basketball, she was uh, uh, eating acid and turning tricks as a prostitute. Um, she did not have a very idyllic upbringing. Eileen never frightened me. <laughs> she never threatened me. And people on death row have been known to do that. She was hard to manage in terms of, you know, trying to, whenever you're representing somebody who is um, clinically imbalanced. So with Eileen on death row, there isn't much going for her. What's the best case scenario for you? My hope in Florida was somehow, if we could stretch out or elongate the litigation and tie it up, that maybe there would have been a change in administrations that might have done away with the death penalty. 
Uh, and obviously with, with her and with any with most people on death row, you're just trying to get it converted to a life sentence. Joe, you are Eileen's attorney for the post-conviction stage, her last chance saloon, essentially. It's tremendous job pressure when death is on the line, and I can't even imagine the toll it takes. No, absolutely. Um, it transcends being a lawyer, um, and you are really their last gasp of hope between them and either the electric chair, well, they don't have it anymore, but they have lethal injection. Uh, but it, uh, it's, the, the legal system cannot seek a more grave consequence. Okay, so would you paint for us a picture of the day that you found out you'd been appointed to be on the Wernos case? I'm in my office and I'm looking at the boxes and I'll be honest, oh, Wernos. Each case has about a dozen boxes. You get a box from the clerk of court. You get a box from the state attorney. You get a box from the investigating law enforcement agency. You get a box from the defense attorney. Well, Eileen had six sets of these because she had six judgments and sentences of death. Six that, you know, even if we had prevailed on one, it's like the patient goes to the doctor, you get a spot on the pancreas, a spot on the liver, a spot on the lung. <laughs> you know, take your pick. Uh, there were six of them. And all the state needs is one to carry out uh, execution. So what was the argument for a brand new hearing? My defense argument was basically that uh, Eileen was ill-served by uh, Steve Glazier. Within the legal profession, Steve was a little bit of a, of a maverick, a renegade, if you will. So certainly within the death penalty uh, quarter, the elite core of people who do this, he sort of uh, uh, prompted horror, gasps of horror, judge has to go on the record and find about uh, a dozen or so factors before he or she can impose a death sentence. It was suggested that Glazier was unaware of this and just pled her. And he saw himself as, look, Eileen wants to die. Stephen Glazier basically uh, greased the skids towards what probably was an unavoidable destiny of her getting executed. And he did so thinking, you know, I'm going to cut through all the tomfoolery here and serve the client, give the client what she wants. I want to know how Steve feels about the criticism levied at him for how Eileen's other murder cases were handled. They damned me in my local newspaper and TV when this was going on. They even got a lawyer to get on TV and say, what Steve Glazers did is an abomination of law. They called me an abomination. <laughs> All that bad talking, it just uh, made me want to help her more. You didn't charge Eileen for representation as she had no cash. So you made money through interviews. What can you tell me about that? What happened was I got 7,500 bucks over the whole period of time. Because people were ripping me, I had to, one day I went on uh, some TV show or something and I said, I defy anyone out there to prove that I had anything more than $7,500 from her. And that's all I ever got from her. I think she made three appearances for 10 grand, and she said, take 25, three times. Uh, and, and that's what I did. 
people are getting all bent out of shape, a lawyer working for money. Oh, my God. Do you think things could have turned out differently for Eileen? No. First of all, please, everybody has to remember. Number one, she's a prostitute. Number two, she's very strong-willed. Number three, do you really think anyone could have talked her into anything? Let alone me, some old hippie stranger? There's nobody in the world who could have talked her into this. So it is absolutely ridiculous to think that I had anything to do with getting her to plead. Would you take this case on again, knowing what you know now? No, I wouldn't. uh, It cost me too much. I would never do this again. All, All I can say, I did what my client wanted. It was upheld by the highest courts. And uh, what I may or may not have suffered from good or bad publicity, I'll never know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, and U.S. News & World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/mindofamonster. 
There's no safe like Simply Safe. Eileen's best friend Dawn flies down to Florida to see Eileen for visits as much as she can. Dawn also sends gifts, photos of places Eileen used to love, and of course, writes letters. Eileen is locked up, but it's the first time in her life she's ever had constants. Food, showers, a bed, warmth. For Dawn, it was bittersweet. Just too bad it took prison to get that. But I did make the last 10 years the best 10 years of her life. She was safe, not having no sex with nobody. It is crazy that they take somebody that killed people, put them on death row, and they turn around and kill them. That just doesn't make any sense. But you know, it was the safest place she ever was. You know, she had a nice warm bed, you know, TV. She had to send her a new CD every year because she loved her music. And she would loved her writing, and she loved doing that. And I made sure I sent $500 to commissary so she could get her potato chips, candy bars, whatever she wants. Um, she would write things to me when I would say, oh, ma'am, we've got so much snow here. I miss snow so bad. So I'd get my family together, and I'd make us all go outside and make three great big snowmans and a sign in front of it, you know, to you, Eileen, and take pictures and send us. By 2001, 44-year-old Eileen has been locked up in the legal system for a whole decade. Her post-conviction lawyer, Joe Hobson, is told that Eileen wants to stop the appeals process. Eileen fired a lot of attorneys and declined other attorneys and said she was misled and that she just wanted to go to God. Tell me about that. Was she just sick of death row? Well, you know, anybody in that position the crosshairs of, of prosecution can tend to feel powerless, and the only power they can really exude is, I want a hearing. Uh, my lawyer is not doing the right thing for me, or I'm going to fire you, or I'm going to, you know, heckle you, or uh, attack you. Going back to her mental competency, many psychologists deemed her incompetent to stand trial, but yet she stood trial. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, you and I know that that's a difficult standard, but just in general, in her particular case, you know, and even, even when she decided to stop the appeal process, she was deemed competent enough to make that decision. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, is, is anybody, anybody competent to make that type of decision? I mean, look, Eileen was found to be competent by a legal system was probably predetermined to find her competent. But where you're trying somebody for capital murder, it's, it's, I don't know that any human-based institution is capable of actually processing or promulgating that. Okay, this is kind of a loaded question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Uh, I'm going to ask it. I wasn't going to ask it, but I'm just kind of curious. If you had been Eileen's defense attorney from the beginning, do you think you would have had a different outcome in this trial? No. Over the past decade, Eileen has been deemed mentally incompetent to proceed with trial by a number of different psychologists. But on Monday, April 1st, 2002, the Florida Supreme Court rules that Eileen Warnos is competent 
to fire her attorneys, stop her appeals, and accept her death sentences. In a brief unanimous order, the court also fires Eileen's state-appointed attorneys. Her five appeals are dismissed. Dear Dawn, they've changed executions to a choice now. I'll more than likely go for lethal injection because you're laid out on this table as if you're on a cross. Perfect way in my book for me to split in the name of Jesus. Sounds good to me. I've got a whole universe in Jesus waiting for me. So it's a serene thought. It's now just a matter of time before her execution warrant is signed. Dear Dawn, I'm writing goodbye letters. Why? Once a warrant is signed, there is just no way I'd be able to write them. I'll be so upset. I'll love you forever. Very, very much. Forever and ever and ever. Eileen's death warrant is eventually signed. The day her life ends will be October 9th, 2002. Knowing she was due to die and feeling helpless, Eileen's already poor mental health worsens on death row, and her erraticism has become notorious in the media. Two days before Eileen's execution, on October 7th, Dr. Toomer writes a final psychological report. Reviewing 13 years' worth of depositions, plus court, clinical, and diagnostic records, he concludes... Based upon the totality of the data, I'm of the opinion that Ms. Warnos fails to meet the criteria for competency to proceed. While she has an appreciation of the charges, her ability to relate to her attorney in a meaningful manner and to testify relevantly is compromised by her impaired emotional and psychological functioning. So this is two days before execution, and you still, 10 years later, think she shouldn't proceed. Yes, I, I deemed her, and I opined that she was mentally incompetent to proceed. She did not meet any of the criteria that we use in terms of rendering that opinion. When you have someone who is as impaired as she was, manifesting the range of symptomatology characterized by lability, unpredictability, and the like, there is no way that she would be able to basically bring to bear the cognitive processes, the level of comprehension necessary in order to fully understand and participate in the criminal proceedings, which is what competency speaks to. I just believe she gave up at the end. And from talking with uh, her attorneys or what have you, I, I, that's just the impression I got. Eileen chooses her best friend Dawn as her final visitor. It's the night before the execution. They spend four hours together, laughing, crying, and reminiscing about old times. Well, I felt no sadness because... It's something she'd been waiting for for a long time. And um, 
I got them to open the commissary, so I know we were sitting there four hours straight, but she sat there and she ate enough, you know, I've got her two calzones and all that. And she also had a Mountain Dew and a Coca-Cola, and she had a bag of um, barbecue chips and regular chips and a Hershey candy bar and a Snickers. And we laughed the whole damn time. We were so sore from laughing. But she was so happy when I could hear her as I was leaving the prison laughing. Best friend in the whole world going on and on and on talking to the guards. It's the morning of October 9th, 2002. Eileen has walked from her cell and is strapped down to a table about to be executed in a Florida state prison. That day still haunts her former lawyer, Steve Glazer. I remember almost driving to the prison to protest, protest against the death penalty. There's always people outside of uh, Florida State Prison uh, who protest whenever, whenever somebody is executed. And I didn't because I figured it was best to keep away from any cameras or any kind of news because I was always so closely associated with her. There was always somebody who was grabbing me for an interview of some sort. And uh, I'm sorry, um, wish I could have been there in the end, but uh, there was no way. It was the end of an era. It was a sigh of relief, one that she was at peace and one that it was over for me finally. But Eileen's best friend, Dawn, is waiting for the announcement outside of the prison walls. Oh, I was right there. I was right there across the street with all the people, just pretending like I wasn't me because it was, I'm sure, the media that kept saying, are you Dawn Bakken? No, I don't know who she is. But there's family members in that tent. I'm not going to go up there and say anything on Eileen's such a good friend. And she killed their family members. Eileen is given a lethal injection. And at 9.47 that morning, she is dead. It's over. But for the families of the victims, their pain will never end. Kathy and David are the niece and nephew of missionary Peter Sims. She was possessed by Satan, definitely. And I prayed for her soul, and that was it. We need to focus on the mental health of the people around us. Just like Eileen Wernos, I forgive her. You know, I mean, it doesn't take away the hurt, but I forgive her. I mean, she, she because of my uncle's testimony to her, came to know the Lord, and now they're up in heaven together. <laughs> when I heard that uh, that she had been executed, I didn't feel any joy or elation or anything like that. I just felt like the, the last person in a tragic situation had died. She had uh, claimed to be a, a Christian, and uh, I thought to myself, well, if that's true, then when she was executed, she went to heaven. And if she did, I believe the way my uncle was, he would be one of the first ones there to greet her and welcome her. 
I believe that with all my heart because that's the way he was. Very kind man who loved his God with all his heart. She said, I just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day. I'll be back. I'll be back. There will always be cases that stand out when we analyze serial killers. This one is notorious for a number of reasons. Eileen was a woman, a sex worker, and a complicated killer. She turns out to be, upon reflection, a layered and nuanced person. She stands apart from her contemporaries. She loves and hates. She's both victim and villain. A life filled with violence, abuse, and abandonment coupled with unfortunate genetic risk factors, created a perfect storm. But no matter how tragic Eileen's life was, nothing can excuse her for taking the lives of innocent men and ripping families apart. For the police investigating this, it's a case that will stay with them forever. Brian Jarvis and David Taylor. Our detectives kept in touch with the families. Even for years after, uh, they maintained contact with the families. And your heart certainly goes out to them, but I can't say that they ever really get closure. I mean, closure to me would be having their loved one back, and that's not going to happen. I felt a sense of relief that finally this nightmare is over. Uh, She killed seven guys. Uh, The guys who weren't killed that uh, gave her rides, um, I think uh, many of them have counted her lucky stars more than once. One last question. If you were to sum up Eileen, how would you describe her? Evil. Dawn always promised Eileen that she would bring her ashes back to Troy, Michigan, to be together once again. Her ashes are scattered by her favorite tree in Dawn's garden, where she made memories with the one person who never let her down, someone with whom she truly felt at home. Last few years, I looked over there at that tree. It's the best tree in my yard. I'm just glad everything's done with, and she's up in heaven. My MS has gotten worse than it's ever been. And every time the sun shines on me, I know it's Eileen shining down. Keep your strength going, and I'm happy about that. She takes care of me, her way from heaven. My message to Eileen right now would be, I still love you and keep watching over me. You're doing a great job. Dear Dawn, thank you for coming back into my life, buddy. It surprises me we made contact after all these years, especially what I'm labeled as. I just thank you strongly for having overlooked all that. You're a darn good soul. The best. Mind of a Monster, Eileen Warnos, is produced by Arrow Media for ID. The executive producer for ID is Jessica Lowther. Aeromedia's producer is Harriet Mortar. Editor, Sirkin Nihat. Audio engineering by Mahoney Audio Post. Our line producer is Philippa Whittle. Our production manager is Alexandra Kelly. Our junior production manager is Jody Tanner Wild. Our production coordinator is Shannon Tunicliffe. Our archive producer is Katia Long. Our edit producer is Isabel Wilson. Aeromedia's series producer is Gabrielle Nash, and executive producer is Stuart Pender. Eileen Warnos voiceover by Vicki Thorne. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Ward. 
You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.